the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, a.k.a. Goat Maniac, ready for sacrifice. <laughs> Goat Maniac, love it. Hey, we have a fantastic episode. Thanks for joining us on Yes with the Weird Voices. You know that it's the Halloween special episode. And today we have the guest Frank J. Kim from the Heroes and Halfwits podcast yeah. to join us. And we're going to talk about lycanthropy. I was going to say the curse, Neil, of lycanthropy, but that's a whole discussion oh, that yeah. we get into in the show. Is it a curse? Is it just a, a virus, a sickness? We'll get into that discussion. But before we do, this week, if you are a Patreon dragon, make sure to head over, because if you're a gold Patreon dragon or up, you will get access to the homebrew material of a list of potions and ingredients needed to cure lycanthropy that I created. So head on over to that, get a new story time episode, and we're going to start getting into the meat. But before we do, Neil, you know what time it is. It's time for some five-star reviews, and I am 100 paid. I can't. I can't. I am 100% <laughs> taking this one because this five-star review was brought to us by Super Buns. Super Buns. Oh, and they entitled it Fantastically Amazing Five Stars. These guys are a treat to listen to. Just one of their top 10 list episodes will give you enough brain crack to keep you daydreaming about campaigns <laughs> for an Yeah, I, I got real close to getting through brain crack without <laughs> brain cracking. <clears throat> to keep you daydreaming about campaigns for an eternity. I'm on campaign number two with my group. All thanks to the DMB. Well, thank you. Super buns, and you just go and you just keep being the super bun DM that you are in one campaign or a second campaign or a third campaign. Super bun it up. Well, with that, Neil, it's time to head over to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? So for today on The Meat, we are joined by Frank J. Kim, DM for Rooster Teeth's podcast, Heroes and Halfwits. First of all, Frank, welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. Yeah, we are very excited to have you, and I know our listeners are as well. So we'll kick off the interview section with maybe you telling us about your long walks on the beach, but can you tell us anything that you about yourself that you think our listeners would like to know? Um, well, other than long walks on the beach, um, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm also a writer. Well, clearly, I guess as a dungeon master, but I also do a lot of other uh, writing in other formats like screenplays and short fiction, prose, things like that. And actually, 
in, in Austin, and um, there's this thing called the Typewriter Rodeo, and it's a bunch of people that get old school typewriters, and they'll just you can you can hire them for parties, um, but sometimes they just like they'll just be around the city, and um, like just on a street with a typewriter set up on a little folding table and a chair, they write instant poetry, and then you pay them like I forget how much it is, but they'll like type it out for you and then hand it to you or type it out for your loved one and you can send it as a gift. So anyway, all that's to say, like, it's got me started um, thinking about poetry as well. And I was thinking like, hmm, I should really explore that that genre. So I've started writing some some poetry, which I haven't done in in years now. Have you had any crossover yet bringing in poetry into dungeon mastering? Have you like brought poems into your into your games not lately um but you know i think it's been god almost like 20 years now at least about 18 years when i first moved to austin i i started running a D campaign for a group of friends and i remember i mean my notes may still be around somewhere but i remember like actually incorporating little verses here and there as part of um like old texts that they would find that would have some clue to the next part of the dungeon um so yeah it's been a while but i used to do that awesome you know um well i guess the thing another thing is i do martial arts and um i've been doing a lot more like just uh heavy bag work um which i i had like done you know when i first started martial arts years and years and years ago i did that and then i stopped for a while and you know anyone who's done like uh combat sports can tell you it's different when you're just practicing on your own versus when you have like either a sparring partner or an actual like heavy bag. So I have like a 70 pound bag in my front porch now. When I, when I, one thing I realized is this is going to sound terrible, but I, I love like just beating up a bag. <laughs> I mean, there's something really satisfying. It's, 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 it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, especially if I'm stressed out or, or, you know, had a bad day, like driving through the terrible traffic situation that we experience here in Austin. Uh, yeah, just wailing on a bag is so much fun. Like, it's like the only kind of sanctioned violence that's, you know, in our society, I guess. And, uh, but I think we need it because honestly, sometimes people do need to like let off some steam. And if there's a healthy way to do that, I'm all for it. You've talked a little bit about Heroes and Halfwits already, but for any of our listeners out there who aren't familiar with this podcast, uh, can you can you talk to us about it? Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. It's basically a group of us that play Dungeons and Dragons, and we do it all wrong. And, uh, <laughs> and then... no, not possible. <laughs> it's well, you know. I mean, what can you expect when the the title has the word Halfwits in it, right? So. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we uh, so it was a brainchild of Jeff Ramsey, um, who is one of the founding members of Rooster Teeth. He knew that he wanted to do a Dungeons and Dragons um, se- web series for a while uh, through Achievement Hunter, and then he asked me back in uh, I think it was twenty early twenty sixteen if I would be the dungeon master for it, and uh, of course I said yes. And he, one of the reasons he approached me about it is not only are we friends, but I, I've been the dungeon master for Jeff, Griffin, and Gus for years. And so we, you know, we'd get together and play like once a week or so. And then, and then we stopped because Rooster Teeth just, you know, blew up. Um, you know, this was like, like we started playing in the early 2000s. 
Uh, of course, Griffin wasn't part of that at the time. She came in later. So right around the time that we really started to meet like once a week and, and play and everything, you know, Rooster Teeth blew up. And so then they had far less time to do that. So we over the over time, you know, we just kind of like stopped playing and and went our separate ways for a while. Um, but anyway, I guess Jeff never forgot about that because then he approached me in 2016, asked me if I do, and I agreed. And um, and we knew right away like the show would just be like ridiculous. Like you know, there there are other D and D podcasts out there where they they take the role playing very seriously. Uh, you know they're always in character, and then they and as their characters, they take on this whatever their class is, like they still approach it as well. You know uh, we're still a, a, a professional adventuring party, and therefore if we're in a dungeon, we're going to do things right. We're going to send out our rogue to <laughs> sc yep. you know scout for traps, and you know we're not going to just like. Uh, see a nice magic sword dangling in the air and run into the room to get it. No, we're going to like do things smart. That's great. And there, there's some really awesome podcasts that do that out there. But uh, Jeff and I realized very quickly, very early on, that we're like, N no, if it's Jeff and Gus especially and they're <laughs> playing, it's not going to be like that. We're just going to be idiots. Uh, and so... So that's kind of how it all developed, and then um, and oh, and I guess the, the interesting thing about Heroes and Halfwits was that initially, in the for the people who have seen it, the first four seasons are um, straight up, you know, medieval fantasy in the in in using the uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rule set. Um, but when when Jeff and I initially talked about the idea, we had to pitch it to Bernie and Matt and and the higher ups there. So my thought was, well, okay. Let's be different than everyone else, not only with the comedic part, but also in terms of the milieu. And so I wrote a whole thing that was like a sci-fi campaign for it. And so I spent three months doing that. We pitched it to them and they're like, wait, but isn't this supposed to be Dungeons and Dragons? Like, where are the dragons? And so they were like, no, you got to do medieval fantasy. So uh, I ended up scrapping all of that. Well, I didn't scrap it completely, but I had to put that aside and then rewrite uh, or, or rather write a whole new campaign scenario. And that's what became the first three seasons was the whole Jackal Heart adventure. But then by the fifth season, that's when we got some more leeway to kind of experiment and branch out. And so uh, I got to actually take all my notes from the sci-fi campaign and uh, and continue developing that after, you know, two years, two years later. And then that became the you fifth season. You pulled it season. off your shelf. You yeah, blew exactly. You blew the dust yeah. off it. You're like, it's back. It's yes, back, I get yeah. To use it. yeah. Well, and then by that point, because so... The other kind of admission here is that I had never played 5th edition D&D &D until Jeff asked me to do Heroes and Halfwits. And so, you know, by that uh, 20, early 2016, I think 5th edition had already been out for like a year and a half, maybe two years. And my other friends who played D&D &D in my personal life, they had, you know, they'd been playing 5th Ed for, uh, for about that long. And they kept telling me about it. But at the time, I'd been so busy, I didn't really um, get into it. So when Jeff hired me basically for that job, that's when I like started just reading the books and got familiar with everything. So um, when two years later, when I dusted off the sci-fi campaign, I realized, oh, this like this still needs a lot of work because I had gotten so familiar with the fifth ed rules by that point that I realized there are a lot of like missing pieces. So then not only did I blow the dust off of that, but then I had to go and like just start like building everything all over again. Um, but I kept this the, the essential story elements and then that's what became uh, the fifth season. Like I, I love, like you said, it's, you were admitting it, but I think that there's there's something great in that because we have a lot of listeners 
who have who have wrote into the show and said at the very least said they had some sort of anxiety of starting up whether it's a new edition like fifth edition or just DMing in general um, because oh gosh I don't think I know the rules enough this and that. Frank, you started you started a whole video podcast <laughs> coming into it pretty new and it seems to be going pretty great. So I think that's that's a good <laughs> that's a good show of like don't don't be afraid of it. Like cause it is, right? Neil said it before. Like there like there really isn't a wrong way to play. If you're enjoying right. the time with your your friends, if you are telling a story that's enjoyable, that's that's what the essence of the game is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it helps to, for me, it helped to have players who are like Jeff and Gus, um, you know, just really funny, um, witty guys. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I would even say this to the to your viewers that are like, you know, first time or have never even played, and they're like, I don't know if I can be a DM. Well, the part of it is um, to challenge yourself, right? Like, it's, we all grow through challenge like no one ever becomes a better person if they're just like you know born into uh you know millionaire parents and like everything's spoon-fed to them like you have to be able to jump into situations that are unfamiliar and that you're not good at honestly uh and, and then and then just just keep keep at it and of you know obviously like have fun like don't do something that's just like a drag the whole time but um but yeah if you're having fun and and it's challenging i find like that's the best way to learn uh, like any game, really, uh, but yeah, especially Dungeons and Dragons, and and also the other thing about challenges is that, uh, and I don't think I'm, I don't think this is anything that uh, Jeff and Gus don't already know, but um, when we used to play it just as friends, like you know, before Rooster Teeth was even a thing. First of all, I was always the DM. Like, they never wanted to DM. They just wanted to play. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine with me. I love, like, yep. you know, I love creative writing and world building and all that. So it was, it was great. But <laughs> what I realized very quickly was that not only did they just want to be players, but they wanted to be, like, the worst players possible. And so... <laughs> They, I mean, like every DM, me. yeah, right. Um, but yeah, every, I mean, you know, if you think about like red versus blue, I mean, they, they were like Griff and Simmons before those parts were even ever written for them, but they would like get together yep. and do the thing that they pretty much suspected I didn't want them to do. So if I'm like trying to co coerce them or convince them to go into this scary dungeon and get the treasure, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, what about like that town over there? Or you know, like, yeah. what if, uh, what if we just turn our horses around and we go to like the ocean instead? Like, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So then, you know, I'd have to like think of like, all right, well, either I'm gonna have to somehow railroad them into the the entire the, this module that I spent the last week preparing, or uh, or I just have to you know roll with the punches and and like okay they want to go somewhere else all right well let's see what else happens and uh, and then maybe I can still incorporate some of the NPCs that they would have met in the dungeon or some of the monsters, um, but yeah it it forced me to constantly with those guys think on my feet and and just adapt and and still try to like make it all entertaining because it's very easy especially when you're younger uh to get all hurt about you know oh these players they they just totally ruined my campaign you know and all that um but you know sometimes you just have to like figure out a way to have fun regardless of what's happening in the game with the players okay we're gonna move to our surprise question and i feel like we have the answer based on the story you've just told but <laughs> we have a question from 
DM Exitium. And I thought it would be a perfect one because most people know you from your podcast. Thanos snaps his fingers at the end of Infinity War. Who dies in your D&D campaign? <laughs> oh, man. Well, if I was feeling especially <laughs> pissed off at one of the players, you know. That <laughs> but um, I think what I would do is uh, just determine by dice rolls. Um, so, you know, if it's like, if it was like Infinity War, like all, half of all life is supposed to be wiped out, then I would basically just, you know, you know do 50-50 chance. Uh, so roll a d20, you know, 11 or, or actually I guess what I do is make the players all roll a d20, 11 or higher, they're fine. Anything less than that, they're gone. Oh, the ultimate death save. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So we just want to thank DM Exitium again for that awesome question. We've used it before. It's a perfect question because, Frank, thank you for that awesome response and all the content that was created from it. But now we're going to jump right into Lycanthropy because we're here for our Halloween episode and we thought nothing could be better than talking about Lycanthropy. This is a long historied thing in our real world. So I want to start up front with all the things that we will talk about are no doubt going to come from our personal experience. And there is so, so much more related to this because I think one of the earliest things I found related to lycanthropy was almost like the year like 20 or 30. So there's some historic, a little bit of historical context. Um, But the first thing we want to talk about is how does this curse spread? I'll preface this by saying I believe, you know, the DM should just run with whatever the DM feels like. With the caveat that, you know, you're still trying to make it fun for a group of people to be playing this game. So don't don't be like one of those tyrannical DMs. That... No, but yeah, like in the sense of like, especially if you have a homebrew setting. Yeah. How does the question of how does this curse spread is is entirely sure. up to you and- yeah and and for me i i love the idea of it being a curse um you know i i mean well i i should preface this by saying that um I, a lot of the historical stuff does actually include things about like people who could control their uh, so i say lycanthropy I don't know which one is the correct one, but I'm just more used to saying it that way. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of like historical um, data and like folklore about you know people that could actually control it. And there's actually a, a, one of the um, earliest historical sources is from a Greek historian by the name of Herodotus, and he wrote in the um, like 400 BC time range or so, almost 500 BC, and um, he talks about like. Wolfmen, like there, that there were people, tribes that lived up in um, like Central Asia um, that could control it, and so they could become wolves and run and, and hunt and things like that in wolf form. But for purposes of the D and D game, I, I like the idea that no, this is like more of a cur- an affliction that you know you, you're if your player is infected with it, they have to deal with it somehow because that is a really good motivation to start a, a mini campaign or, you know, it could even be a longer campaign if you want to, but that way the players don't have a lot of, like, like I was saying before, Jeff and Gus and all that, like it's fun when they, um, they th- think of something that they want to do differently, but then to rein that in sometimes it can be kind of a chore. So if you have a curse and it's like something that you're, that directly affects a, a player, 
Um, it just gives a lot more sense of urgency at that point. And, and then, you know, they're more motivated than to follow along the lines of like, oh, okay, well, to fix it, you have to find this uh, holy person and they can cast a wish or, you know, whatever that is. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I like to do it. And how it's spread, uh, definitely through Byte. Oh, man, this is years ago. But I, I ran a campaign years ago where um, one of the players got infected with uh, lycanthropy and the the whole thing was is that it wasn't just it wasn't specifically from another werewolf it was actually a very powerful witch and um and she cast that as kind of like a revenge thing against one of the players so so yeah i like that idea too that it can be this like spell effect that um you can get from very powerful magic users and not just the, uh, another like lycanthrope and I think tying it heavily to witches and possibly vampires, which is very, very common in our current media. But historically, it was also tied kind of to the actual witch hunts that mm-hmm. in different countries, they were also basically doing wolf hunts and mm-hmm. focusing on that kind of thing. But so I also really like the idea of it being this very specific curse. I like the idea of doing the wrong thing. To have it happen maybe it's maybe it's that it was it could be a bite it could be a scratch it could be more sinister and someone who has werewolf blood has been tainting a water source and mm. your players are like what's like wrong that. with this t- what's wrong with this town and they drink from this this stream and then there's a chance that now you also have lycanthropy I think that it's important. Um, I'm, I'm glad that this was kind of the thing that you first started talking about, Frank, because I think it is important to talk about, is it a curse? Now, the, the fifth edition book is pretty clear. It says curse. It's a curse of, of lycanthropy. But, like, I've definitely played in games, uh, read lore, where, like, the word curse and disease is used almost interchangeably. And that really shouldn't be the case, right? Like, is it a disease or is it a curse? Uh, is this some magical thing that like, and I think it's the fact that we're, we're used to, how does it spread through a bite? So like the interchange of either blood or saliva that can, so we think disease when we talk about this, but I think when we, when you get down to talking about like DMS out there who want to create it for their homebrew game, uh, is it more of that science side where it is a disease and it's it's a virus uh, that you can contract? And so uh, it had its origins through a very scientific way of beginning. Uh, or is it something like you guys are saying, like, or is it a curse? Uh, was it something that through, it, through an act of witches uh, began? Was it something that uh, a god was upset with a mortal, like maybe just one mortal, or maybe a group of mortals, and and cursed them because of some action they took against this god. Uh, was that the origin of it? And that kind of leads to, like you're saying, Frank, that yeah, this can. It's mostly going to spread through bites, but that if it is a curse, uh, that certainly leads to the idea that. But it could also happen upon one of your characters in your game through other means of like a witch casting a cat like you are cursed for what you've done here uh go forth and and you shall walk on all fours uh when the moon rises something along those those lines it it adds a little bit more 
than just, oh, but I didn't get bit, right? Like, so <laughs> I'm safe. Yeah, and I, I would say it's in terms of like, because I think what you're pointing at is like story elements that you can incorporate into the game mechanic of lycanthropy. And so the story element for me uh, that I find always really interesting is when it's a curse um, is like, yeah, it could be this witch or, or even a god um, that curses the player's and then and then spurs that on. And as far as the moon and, and all that is concerned, um, this is the other thing is uh, the reason why I kind of use witches um, and they, they're kind of like stand-ins um, sometimes for druids is that uh, it could be a way for nature to get back at uh, the, what a represent a representative of civilization. Because if you play if you play in that kind of uh, game world where you know there's like there's the cities and towns that humans and other, you know, civilized races have built, and those are kind of like at war against the more natural domains of forests and deserts and mountains and all that. Um, I think that always creates a really interesting tension. And so, yeah, you could have like a coven of witches or a circle of druids who just feel angry at the party for coming in and, let's say, looting an old temple or whatever. And so then that's their revenge. And it's like, you you now have to suffer like the worst aspects of bestial nature where you're constantly you know driven yeah by hunger and by um by the need to defend territory and things like that so yeah so i think it's perfect for that kind of uh, scenario the thing that i love about that and i'm going i'm reluctantly admitting something on air um so i <laughs> i started to watch the vampire diaries a whole bunch and it works perfect for this conversation, so I feel like I am completely justified. But the idea that the <laughs> curse... did it for homework, obviously. Yeah, I did. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> but the idea of the curse aspects could be the negative aspects that you just talked about, Frank, where I have this insatiable bloodlust. I can only transform... I'm forced to transform at the rising of the moon, and I, I have no control. And so it could be that your players lift the curse aspects, but then now have control over the lycanthropy. And so then I can choose to shift. I don't need to feed. I don't need to do these things. So and this is definitely a way that you could give a, a certain player more power by having it basically Absolutely. be like almost this feat or this subclass, something along those lines, but still having to do all of these very intricate special things to undo the curse of that. Another one would be shamans, druids, witches, anything like that. But now you control this this terrible thing that happened to you. Absolutely. I think this is a great like point of transition to talk about. I mean, if we're going to talk about this curse, I, no, no player who has like played in a D&D game has not thought, man, it would be really cool if I if I got to be a werewolf or a werebear or a werebear. Like ev at every player, I think at every point has that thought of like, that would be pretty cool to deal with that, whether it's like the power or the struggle that's there. So like for, for us as DMs and for DMs out there, if we want to introduce this to our players, I guess the questions would be like, how would you introduce this as like maybe an avenue for a PC or a whole group of PCs to become where whatever the creature uh, is that they're becoming? And then how do you deal with it? And I think one thing that I want to talk about to start with, because we've kind of been working off of this premise already. Frank, you brought up uh, the moon. Neil, you're bringing up like this, like, oh, there's this way that maybe you can get to the point where you have this control. 
And with most forms of werewolves or where anythings, there is this idea of there not being control uh, when this curse comes upon you, whether it's the moon uh, or in your own homebrew, uh, whether it's maybe like after you get uh, cut, uh, you turn into uh, the were being or uh, at the scent of blood, or maybe it's maybe you're like the Hulk. When you get angry, you turn into a werewolf. Um, But there is this sense of not having control. Uh, Do you guys feel that it's important to have there be a flaw connected to the power because there certainly is power Mm -hmm. to being a lycanthrope but do you think that it's important to have for especially in terms of like having pcs that are where whatevers do you think the flaw is important as well yeah absolutely um and especially if you go by like the the kind of traditional tropes for a, a werewolf um you can have a player who you know Let's say they have mithril armor, which is very close to like silver, right? In D and D, so you could say like, well, you know, when every time you start wearing your armor now, like it burns your skin, you get rashes, and like you know, you have like certain penalties to your ability scores or like some hit point damage, um, and then yeah, like stuff like that, or like um, you know, it's not the same thing, but with vampires, I, I've played in campaigns before where one of the players was infected with vampirism, and so, you know, they couldn't stand garlic, so whenever we were camping, um, the DM would add this flavor text of, like, you know, yeah, you're having dinner with in this, you know, season of the garlic, but uh, so-and-so over there, like, you, you're getting really sick, like, you're throwing up, you know, make a constitution saving throw or whatever, so yeah, like, I think it's a really good idea to balance that out. And especially what you're saying about, like, a lot of players do want to have a controllable lycanthropy because it boosts their characters' abilities and stats. Um, but then I think the thing to do is to balance that out by saying, okay, yeah, you're, like, really strong now, but you you, you have to shun, like, you know, these certain things um, or, or else it'll cause damage. And And as far as, like, how you do that as a DM, I think the best thing is really just create a whole campaign around... Like, how does the character go from being suffering this curse to then being able to control it in some way? And and if you write a series of adventures, um, then the thing to do is, like, basically have... If they can overcome all those obstacles, they get to a point where they level up. And when they do the level up, that's when they've also managed to finally control this thing that, yeah, that afflicts them. Yeah, you definitely need the drawback, or else everyone will do it. I mean, that's first and foremost. Right. Yeah, yeah, why, why would yeah. why not? I want to be yeah. a werewolf too. I want to be a werebear mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Continuing to reference that wonderful show that I started watching. Uh, the whole point, <laughs> the whole point of the curse aspect was natural balance. Because if people mm. could just change at will, if they could, and the same with the vampires, if they could just go anywhere they want, anytime they want, then the balance of nature would be out of whack because these super powerful creatures would then one probably just turn everybody as fast as they could and just take over the world. So the curse of being forced to change at with the moon and then not be able to be in the sun was put there by witches to balance everything out. So I think that curse, that, that curse or that negative drawback needs to be there because the other thing in my mind is that it also allows for a lot more story. Because, oh, I can't go. You know, we're looking at werewolves. I keep thinking of vampires too, because I cannot separate the two. Um, but the <laughs> idea that, oh, I wasn't paying attention, and maybe we're in this very high end social setting, and I pick up the spoon mm, and I right. freak out, 
because uh, it was silver and I wasn't paying attention and now it's burned me and what kind of, and I think that's another good thing, finding the social aspects, not just the combat aspects to incorporate the fact that someone does have lycanthropy. I think that's something mechanically I would I would change, uh, especially if I'm doing players who want to role play werewolves is having it not just because in in the fifth edition rules, uh, it's not like a vulnerability to to silver. It's just they they have this power of they're resistant to every kind of non-magical weapon but then silver comes to play and they're no longer resistant. So it's just doing normal damage. I think I would take that and say, mm. no, 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 you are vulnerable to silver. Cause yeah. I like, especially like I like those scenarios. Like Frank, you were saying like all of a sudden their mithril armor is it's like Gollum hole, like with the, oh, yeah. or with the elven rope around their neck. Right. Uh, we, we, I think a lot of DMS deal only with gold uh, when talking about uh, using gold in games, but uh, the the lore behind it is that there's gold, there's silver, there's copper, and so your PC has to constantly be like, no, 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 don't give me those those silver pieces. <laughs> I'll take I'll take five copper instead. I do not want those near me. Get like he's gonna be super or she's gonna be super mm-hmm. weird about being paid in silver in any sort of or getting change in silver in any sort of fashion. And so that's a time you can bring that and, and play uh, with that as well. But like those those flaws that we're talking about, a lot of them have to do with like the the typical <clears throat> werewolf, right? Of like, oh, you might be a good person, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden the moon comes up and you want to kill people. And so that's obviously a flaw. But one thing I want to ask you guys is what about what's the flaw for a, a were bear? Because like you could you could be a good person, a good fighter and adventurer, and be like, why not get transformed into a werebear? Then I'm a good I'm also a good werebear. Like if we're going in D and D lore, uh, why wouldn't every adventurer want to become a werebear or a were tiger? Like these these were creatures that have good alignments. What's the flaw there? Oh, I was gonna say my first one would totally be lethargy <laughs> with the bear. Be like, oh, it's a hibernation season, so then they're like forced into these disadvantage <laughs> yes. situations because they they would r- much rather be asleep yeah. because they need to that hibernate. Is... That just that that concept yeah. that the bear would just be stuck in a place and not. That's awesome. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking too that you know, is there a different personality or total different persona that comes out with all of these uh curses of lycanthropy that like when you transform you are a different person like the the books tell us that your your alignment like is going to be shifted right like but if you have the same alignment like so what's the big deal but what if it's you're you're transforming Mm -hmm. and you're becoming pretty much a whole different person with wants and needs and goals and like i like we have a lot of media and comics and books out there that give us the idea that when a person transforms it's like this this blackout right they don't remember what they did they'll wake up next to a stream with a dead deer next to them or even worse a dead human or whatever it is and be like oh god what have i done but they don't remember the act of it even with a good person transforming into a good were bear or were tiger you all of a sudden wake up and you're like you're a hundred miles from the place that you were trying to go to and you're in the middle of this conflict that you didn't start 
I think with that shift of persona and maybe that blackout aspect and that fight of the two natures, I think that in itself can certainly be a flaw and also be a cool thing if you have a whole party worth of werebears, right? That it's like, all right, tonight we're playing the werebears and you guys have this goal. Next time we're playing you guys as adventurers and it's completely different goal. So the way I look at that is if you're going to introduce something like lycanthropy or even vampirism into the actual party itself, you have to make sure that the the players are up for that kind of role playing because sometimes they're not. Like sometimes they just want a power game. They're like, oh, I want to be a werebear and have all the advantages and none of the disadvantages. Uh, and then at that point, you have to decide as a DM, well, do I want that kind of game or not? Uh, I usually prefer my games to have a, a pretty strong element of role-playing. And so if I, if I don't feel like the player uh, would, would be willing to kind of like, you know, role-play those, those that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of duality in their persona, then I, I'm very hesitant to introduce that because I've had experiences in the past where I have introduced it and um, the the player that was afflicted just hated it. Um, you know, they wanted to either cure it as yeah. quickly as possible, or or uh, or they just actually like one person pretty much quit playing because they got so mad at me. Um, yeah, and that was you know that was a good learning lesson. At the time, it was really bad. Like I had to go and basically apologize to that player. So so basically, what happened was that there was a monk, and he, um, he it was actually a vampirism. He became a vampire. But I and I I had this whole vision for it because this is again three point five and you know in three point five if you're a monk and you take certain vows and then you you go against those vows you lose all your monk abilities and and so my thought was okay he's he's been cursed by a vampire to become a vampire so in his vampire form he's definitely violating all of his lawful good um, uh, oaths and so he he basically loses his monk abilities but it wasn't a permanent thing it was the idea was that. He would go on a quest and and like fix his vampirism and then regain his monk abilities and then at the same time you know gain a cool ability or two uh, through the process um, and so so I, I started that and then the player hated the idea is like you're you're ruining my monk character is basically his thought and then he quit the game so yeah I would just say like you know make sure that the that if you're gonna introduce that like have you know make sure the players are okay with it and that um, they're down to actually role play that. And if they are, then yes, it is. It really does open up a lot of fascinating like aspects to the game because you you can get to explore that duality. Yeah, do they black out? Maybe they remember. Maybe, but it's all like hazy or seems like a nightmare that they had. Um, the other thing I like is like you know, I mean, I I have a dog. I'm a huge dog lover, and to me, my non scientific uh, theory on this is that yes, dogs dream, and that's why they twitch and you know they're chasing stuff. Mm. My my dog even barks in his sleep. He does like a sort of a muted bark. Um, and so all that's to say, like, I think animals, even if they don't have like a long-term memory like humans and all that, like, especially mammals, I think that they do still have enough of a complex inner life and a mind that, um, you know, they, they do retain things for certain periods of time and, and then and they dream. And so um, what if, like, if you're a werewolf, for example, and you're in your werewolf form and a full moon, you're out, like, doing stuff, what if you remember all that, but it's because it's filtered through more of an animal kind of um, mindset, brain, um, 
the things that you remember are things like smells, right? Like we're humans are very visual and auditory, but like a dog or a wolf may be more about smells. So like you wake up the next morning and you, you remember the smells of like blood and, or even like tracking, you know, the deer through the woods and all that stuff. Um, but it's not quite clear like why you remember it that way. So I don't know. I, I like playing with kind of like things like that. And then, and especially if the players themselves are game for that, um, it's, it's just so much fun to like create like, well, what is that like? Like when you're, when you're hunting in werewolf form, like what are the sensory experiences? And then going with that. I think the cautionary tale that you, you first told is super important. And I do not think by any stretch of the imagination that you're the only one who has, uh, gone through like having a, a player, uh, contract lycanthropy and them not <laughs> enjoying it and just wanting to get cured and hating it. I can say assuredly that that is your, that is not the case. Cause I also did the hmm. same thing and I could like, I think it's, it's like as a DM, we go, Oh, this would be so cool. Right. What a cool role-playing opportunity. But to force that upon another player, they might mm, love yeah. it. They might <laughs> hate it. Right. So I think that like the idea of lycanthropy Maybe the I, the thing is we should move away as DMs from I feel like it usually comes up as like a in a random encounter where you get werewolves that come in or werebears or whatever it is uh, or like a side quest situation. Uh, but to go in and have transparency with your players and go, we're going to start a new campaign uh, and you're all part of this werebear tribe. Uh, so that's like from the get go, it's like this is what we are setting up for all of us to be a part of, or like going in and saying, you know, we're all going to create characters and each one of you is going to have a backstory where you were bitten by some were creature. Tell me which were creature that is. Let's, let's work on this and kind of starting the adventure at that point. So you're not like pulling, like uh, putting a bag over a player's head and be like, gotcha. Uh, you had no choice in this, right? Like you got bit too bad. Now you have to deal with it. But to give your players some agency in that, if lycanthropy as an adventure is something you want to explore and with all of that still going, if your players say that sounds terrible, none of us want to play were creatures, then I think that's another thing to be like, Oh, okay. This is not something right. that they're interested in, but kind of transitioning there. Like, for DMs who have a group that want to explore this, whether it's a PC uh, that has been given this curse uh, or it's the whole group that is lycanthropes, what are like some adventure ideas or even campaign campaign ideas that you would have based off of a PC or a whole group of PCs being were creatures? Well, if it was one PC, then I, uh, I, like I said before, I would have the idea of like they want to fix the affliction in some way, and then having to go on a quest to do that. Um, the quest for yeah, the curse, yeah, or the, the cure the for cure, the curse, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and especially, you know, I don't know. I just love like the idea of in a medieval campaign setting, uh, especially since in in our real life history. Middle Ages were the time, um, at least in Europe anyway, um, fun fact, there really was no Dark Age at the same time in Asia as there was in yeah. Europe at the time, uh, or in the Middle East either. Anyway, like, yeah, it, you know, I love that parallel of like, 
the 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 beginnings of the modern era the beginnings of like industrialization versus you know the old school way of doing things where you had like uh either barbarian tribes or like um you know more nature based religions that were trying to like that came into conflict with all that so so I love that kind of like story hook of um you know you you've pissed off a bunch of druids and now they're going to curse you um, that kind of thing. If it's the whole party, though, that starts off as lycanthropes and they already know it, um, you know, they're cool with that idea, um, then th what I really love is the, the concept of, okay, so here you are, you're basically a group of adventurers, so you're still going to be motivated by things like, you know, finding magic treasure and gold and, and like, leveling up your character and becoming stronger. Um, but because you have this, like, bestial side that comes out on a full moon, um, and, and also it doesn't even have to be the full moon. Like that's the typical thing for werewolves. But if like, if you're a werebearer, for example, it could be more seasonal. So like, the, I love the hibernation thing because maybe, um, you know, maybe like that's a, like the hibernation, like wintertime is when you're human, but then during the summertime is when you're more like a, a bear and you, you go out and you hunt and you do stuff. Um, so it could be seasonal too, but, um, that there's a certain time period when you're this animal form. What I what I think would be cool is like to actually go out and adventure as a pack of those animals, like whether it's wolves or boars or bears, um, so that you have this whole campaign that is designed around the fact that sometimes you know even the magic users in the group like they they become animals. They're you basically have a party of fighters, and then when you're not in the animal form, you revert back to things like oh now I can cast spells again. Uh, or if you're rogues, like I can now sneak and do all these other things that require manual dexterity. Um, and so, like, it, it would be, you know, in that kind of campaign, there's all these, like, obstacles that they had to overcome in animal form that would be super easy if you have opposable thumbs. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you have paws, oh, you can't necessarily pick a lock and get out of the locked room. So, how do you overcome that challenge? Um, so, yeah, like, things like that. Like, I, I love. Um, also, I feel like something that's underutilized in the D&D cosmology it, uh, um, are the outer planes of Arcadia and uh, the Beastlands. You know, those are, I believe, chaotic good and neutral, I think, are the alignments for those um, planes. And the, uh, I, I actually wrote a whole adventure that, <laughs> unfortunately, no one wanted to play in my group uh, because they didn't, they didn't want to be animals. They didn't want to be a, pa a party of animals. And, but I wrote this thing because um, I think it would be cool. Like, you, don't, you don't often see just pure like, woodland-based uh, scenarios. Like, usually there's a dungeon or a temple or you know, some form of like, civilization. Um, but, you know, if you're a petitioner, um, which I don't know how many of the, your listeners know that, cause that's more from second in, uh, edition, but like that in D and D I had introduced this uh, concept back in the eighties and nineties about like, you know, some people when they die, their souls don't just go to the, their respective heavens or hells. They can exist in this sort of like pseudo afterlife as what's called a petitioner. And so you can actually stat out uh, a character that's a, that's this lost soul basically and wandering through the cosmos, um, trying to find a, a peace in the afterlife. So I had this whole thing of like, well, you're a petitioner, but you're in animal form and you're like adventuring through the beastlands and you have to, in order to find your everlasting, you know, um, you know, your, your after, your happily ever after afterlife, uh, you have to accomplish certain tasks in the beastlands as an animal and then you find rest. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, things like that. <laughs> so the only, the, the big one that I had would be, 
again, going back to the idea that it's something that you're trying to remove the negatives, maybe not the curse as a whole. And it could be these kind of going off what you said, Frank, the idea of these other peoples having other experiences with lycanthropy. One could be that they are a different place with, and this is historical, different places looked at different creatures because Mm -hmm. honestly, they're not as familiar with wolves because they don't have them. So it's, so then, uh, they wear tigers, wear leopards, something along those lines. And maybe there's this different area that you can go to where they have a handle on it. And so now part of the quest is I, we basically, we need to create this expedition to go and figure out why are they okay and how do I become okay or how do I get it removed? So that's my thought. I didn't get to explore this uh, as much as I want to in Heroes and Halfwits in the first three seasons, but uh, I had written this whole thing about how uh, the way that Jackalheart, the city of Jackalheart dealt with lycanthropes is that they basically sent them off to this island. Um, and so it's a, it's a really big island and it has jungles and mountains on it. Uh, but basically their idea was like, yeah, we're, it's like a quarantine. We're just going to send all these diseased people to this island and then let them live there. And so they can... Uh, they could even breed and have children who are lycanthropes, um, but they never leave the island and and potentially infect the rest of the population. And so, um, and that's if the party had ever gone to that island, not only would they have to like constantly be on the lookout for getting infected themselves, but then they would discover that like the lycanthropes had sort of like organized into their own society because they had to deal with the fact that like you know every full moon. They're all going to transform, and it basically becomes like a, it becomes like a battle royale situation, and so it's a super violent oh, yeah, yeah. like place to be on. But it sort of works for them because they know that they're not in control on the full moon. So like, yeah, you you murdered my best friend uh, last night, but I guess you know I can't really blame you because I would have done the same thing, kind of thing. So uh, so they exist in this like really weird kind of society where they fear each other but then they sort of have to like look out for each other too um but yeah i don't know i i love like you know experimenting with things like that and i um had we had more seasons to work with that i think it would have been cool to explore (laughs) yeah i love i love both of your ideas based off of like finding some sort of cure and i think that that is probably the best route to go if you have one party member or like not basically not all of them have contracted this that it's okay guys we need to help our friend out let's let's go find a cure uh the thought i have off of that is what if there to date in your world is no cure then you have a cool story where it's like your adventurers are the ones who go off and find the cure, the first ones. And then like at the, at the end of that campaign, you ask them like, does any of your characters or do like you together? Like, do you write a book together on how to cure like Anthony? And if that's the case, like that's a cool cameo to bring into a campaign further down the line at a different point in history in your world. When uh, maybe a whole nother person uh, and a whole nother character gets uh, becomes a werewolf, and it's like, oh, you go to the library and you find this book written by, and then you can name off those characters yeah. that those PCs played, and hopefully some of the PCs are still sitting at the table, the players are still mm-hmm. sitting at the table, that they're like, hey, that's awesome, that that was a thing that we did years ago. Uh, the other thing that I, I really can't get away from is I love the idea of like the blackout, like not remembering, having different personalities when you transform and if you have a whole group 
I love the idea of doing a campaign and I think it would be difficult, especially if you're wanting to do like one session, you are, uh, the humanoids, like the humans, the elves, whatever it is that, um, is their original, uh, shape. And then the next session you do all of them transform because the moon comes uh. up. So you do like day and night, day and night session by session. And, and like, what is that adventure that you're telling are the two sides of the, like the, the transformed and the non-transformed sides. Are they working together? Is it a like good wear, wear bear? Or is it like, uh, you could also, I think, tell a story where you just focus on maybe the, the transform side, whether it's werewolves or werebears and tell that as a story, but then their human selves are just lowly like, regular peasants that don't have powers and have a hit point of three <laughs> or one. And so it's like, you can have little tidbits where it's like, Oh, when, what do you guys do during the day? When, but they like these, these people have just like succumbed to, I guess we're going on this quest that our werewolf forms want to take us on. I think that'd be a really interesting route to take a whole group. Um, and to do a campaign focused, uh, on that. Yeah, that be that sounds cool. I'd play that. <laughs> I know I'm kind of like <laughs> there are ideas that we we oh. kind of brainstorm and have on on this podcast. It's the best and worst uh, thing. that I go. All right, write that away for a future <laughs> campaign. For myself right now, I'm going write that away for that might be the next campaign. We'll have to see for my home home group. Well, I, I would say if you if you have if you guys don't already do this, like I I have a word document that I just put all kinds of random ideas into that are it's like my D and D story idea file. Um, yeah, I re- yeah, just put that all down because you Constantly never know. Write like, down ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you, when you come up to a new campaign, you're not going, oh man, what do I do? That you have numerous ideas. And yeah, you just pick your favorite, or you let your players pick your favorite, right? You're right, exactly. Yeah, you can be like, here, here, are like the top three ideas I have yep. for this next campaign. Like, what do you guys like? And yeah, let them pick. I also have a, a a file for just like random names, and that yep. way, like if I'm in the middle of a game, I'm like, uh, you know, they the players want to go talk to some random person. I can just pull up the file and be like, okay, their name is Mitch. You know, <laughs> like, yep. when, hey, when they're, <laughs> when they're like, I like this NPC. <laughs> when they're like, we don't want to go in that dungeon you clearly want us to go into. We'd like a town full of NPCs. Create them. <laughs> 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 Constantly, a great resource. So the last section we have is the best kind of homework you will have. It's just different types of media or places that people can go to get more inspiration about werewolves. I have a lot. I don't know how I managed to do this, but I kind of have something across every idea of media, if that makes any sense. Go watch Ooh. Vampire Diaries, whatever. Um, <laughs> but if you would like to watch a movie instead of a show with eight seasons that ties into a different show that also ties into another one, um, I really enjoy Brotherhood of the Wolf. Um, I think that's a, oh, yeah. a, a really good movie to get some inspiration from. Um, if you would rather read a novel, one Stephen King, who has is the shotgun writer of all time, but Cycle <laughs> of the Werewolf is pretty good. And I will round it out with, if you would prefer to watch an anime, I would suggest Wolf's Reign. It's very good. Where basically wolves are casting illusions on themselves to hide as humans um, in the Hmm. world. And there's a lot of mythology around paradise showing up and only wolves being the ones that can find it. And so everyone thinks they're extinct, 
but they're actually just hiding themselves through illusion. Um, so yeah, Wolf's Reign, 26 episodes, really good. I think uh, the homework that I would give out is for our listeners who enjoy Magic the Gathering, Shadow, uh, the Innistrad blocks are perfect for this. Um, and I would just say go and pick out any werewolf card. If you're looking for werewolves as NPCs, like it's going to be great inspiration. Just look at the card of the human form. Look at the card of the transformed werewolf form. Create a story around that card. Who is that person? You've got yourself an NPC and potentially a quest right from that card. Well, I, I, I'm going to go a, a little bit different, I guess, in book form um, and recommend this science fiction novel uh, called The Fifth Head of Cerberus by Gene Wolfe, um, who's a fantastic sci-fi writer. Um, and it kind of reminds me of what how you described uh, Wolfe's reign, Neil, uh, because it, the premise is that in the future, they've uh, humans have colonized this planet and it had this whole race of aboriginal people that were shape changers um and but they were very they're like you know stone age technology so the humans with their advanced technology come and basically wipe them all out and everyone after about 100 years everyone thinks that the aboriginals have all been uh, have all gone extinct uh and then as you read the book you discover that no there's actually some of them still around and they've taken over the forms of humans and they've because they're such perfect mimics They've actually even forgotten their original uh, selves and believe themselves that they're humans now. Um, and so it's a, it's, very, it's a crazy mind trip of a novel. But um, how it applies to lycanthropy and, and werewolves and, and that kind of stuff is that um, I think that anyone who reads that book can get a lot of cool ideas for how to how how to like let's say a village of werewolves like we were talking about like they know they're werewolves how they assimilate into greater human society if they had to uh, how they hide their nature or how they adapt to living amongst uh, non werewolves uh, and then and especially how they hide their true nature when the full moon comes out and they don't have any control over the transformation but maybe they have control over um, like where it happens or um, how humans perceive them when it does happen. So it opens up a lot of like really interesting possibilities. And it was actually one of the main, for me, one of the main inspirations for the society in Jackalheart in Heroes and Halfwits. Uh, that it, I even I even stole one of the lines from the book because in the first season, an NPC tells the party that there's this legend that all the inhabitants of Jackalheart were actually shape changers who killed the human settlers and took over their lives and forms and then forgot about it later. Um, and so, yeah. So I, I love that book for that kind of like influence. As far as movies, um, yes. They, they, so Stephen King wrote, I think it was called Silver Bullet, and they turned into a movie. So, and that's, I, so that cycle of the werewolf gets turned into Silver Bullet. Oh, is that what it, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that movie, like I never read the book, but the movie I saw as a kid, and it, it terrified me, but it was also really cool because they showed through the you know makeup effects and everything him transforming, and I always thought that was amazing. So uh, yeah, so that's my my go to movie for werewolves. Fantastic. Well, first of all, thank you, Frank, for for coming onto the show and talking about lycanthropy with us and <laughs> uh, brainstorming for our listeners all of these awesome ideas. I think we've really. 
uh, covered a lot and had a lot of cool ideas that our listeners can now take and put into their homebrew worlds and start some cool campaigns and even some adventures based off of. For any of our listeners out there who want to to check out more Frank Kim, where are the best places for them to go to check out all the cool things that you're working on? Well, they can catch all the episodes of Heroes and Halfwits, uh, all five seasons on YouTube, uh, or if they're already uh, first members on the Rooster Teeth site, they can go there. Uh, and it's under Achievement Hunter. And um, let's see, other things, Frank Kim. Well, I'm working on some projects right now, but nothing that they would a- a- actually be able to see on the internet as of it's yet. It's all secret but at this point. I would just say... It's all, yeah, it's kind of secret, actually. Uh, but hopefully it won't be secret for much longer, so maybe in the next year or so they'll be able to see some um, some new content coming from me. So Hey, if you get super fired up, just wander around Austin. Find Frank. He might have a typewriter, and he might type <laughs> you some poetry. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> that would be awesome. If I actually had a typewriter, I would totally do the typewriter rodeo thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah go go follow frank on twitter we'll have his twitter handle in the show notes um i'm sure that will be a perfect place for that you'll be tweeting out anything you're working on right so that's a great yeah and i actually so one of the things i did i am working on now i did tweet out about it recently and so i'm kind of like crowdsourcing some ideas for a uh a modern day fairy tale that i'm writing that takes place in east texas um, so yeah, if they go on my Twitter, they can see some of those posts and, uh, contribute ideas. So again, Frank, thanks for joining us on the Dungeon, Dungeon Master's Block. Yes. We hope to have you again on sometime in the future. Thank you. This is great. Great fun. Appreciate it. We just want to thank Frank again for coming on and spending some time with us and having that awesome discussion about lycanthropy. Also, you have been privileged with my admission that I watch a ton of Vampire Diaries. <laughs> Don't worry. I also started the originals, the spinoff series. And if you wanted to get a hold of us and let us know how much you love the Vampire Diaries, or if you wanted to talk to us about lycanthropy and how you've added it to your game, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like this episode or any of the others in see fit, head on over to iTunes where you can leave a five-star review and we'll read it on air. Just like super buns. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, both of those places are fantastic places to go for that. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to... Gonks! <laughs> Thank you so much, Gonks. Gonks is a bronze dragon, and I gotta say, I kinda want to add a bronze dragon named Gonks into my world of autos and my campaigns now, because what a fantastic name. Perfect. You'd have the true dragon name that would be like 10 times longer, but everyone just calls them Gonks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thank you so much, Gonks, for your support of the show. It is super appreciated. As always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out our other shows like Geek Wars, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, and more. Oh, thanks for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God. Killing characters and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. 
Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering. not inspiration it's not wisdom and it's bad advice you should use character voices at your job see how they go over before using them at your table dungeon master mitch oh that's so wonderful (laughs) (laughs) or terrible i wanted to do my terrible witch voice but then i remember how much i hate (laughs) it i hated it the whole entire time going through but i was just like i'm sticking to it i'm sticking to the bit committing to the bit i'm trying to think if it I hate my witch voice, but I like it at the same time. No, it's going to, I'll die. I can't do it. Oh, oh, I want to do the ghost one. It's so fun and it's so (laughs) terrible because like it sounds like it's fun, but it's not. Oh, Goodbye.